0: We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two
1: guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody! I am Cameron, and I'm Willie, and today we have a very special guest, LT Weaver. LT, what is up,
2: my friend? How do we know you, LT? Uh, well, shoot, through uh, the recovery world first. Yeah, I think, that's how we met. You're a recovering <laughs> addict, like us. Yeah, big time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're we are honored to finally have you here, man. I feel like this has been in the works for a little while. Um, you know, we get a lot of people on the show and and have uh, have the the uh, we're very fortunate to have a lot of people and friends and partners that we would have in the recovery community but you my friend are local so you are um, also from uh, from Ogden Utah and as such are out there spreading and promoting a a message of hope Mm -hmm. in recovery and uh, and so I think that it it is a good fit for you to be sitting next to us here yeah, um, in what we would call the other side of hell sandwich.
0: Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> yeah. nice right here in the middle, bro. Yeah, I can't.
0: I can't remember what episode Dan was on. Um, Dan told his story way back in the early days. Yeah. he did a spoken. Uh, Poetry. Spoken word poetry. Spoken word poetry ah, yep. version of his story. And and now he's connected through. And that's how
2: I first met you. Remember yeah. You came to the park and I
0: yeah. shot a bunch of videos of you helping a kid. Yeah, it was your fun. your tattoos and stuff. I was looking all look bad. I was thinner then. It was a lot.
2: Yeah, you are fat now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> help, that, help that stung a little bit. <laughs> I'm bulking it's bulk season it's It's bulk season it's winter weight yeah I think they call that carb season
0: too and uh and and so LT LT definitely
1: is a good uh example of the topic that we have for today yeah man we got this topic from uh from your your story which you shared with us and uh, we're going to be sharing that uh, with the rest of the world, like we do every other episode and every other story that we're fortunate enough to have, and uh, and that is our way of spreading the message. And that is um, a topic that we pulled from your story because that is something that you're obviously doing a lot of out there. Is yeah, spreading absolutely. the message of hope and recovery. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today, and like why why it's so important that we keep doing this deal, why why is it so important that we keep spreading the
2: message? Uh, Right off the top of my head, AA was founded back in the 30s, right? Anonymity and all this stuff, and mental health is changing so much throughout these years. It wasn't very long ago we were just doing lobotomies, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think in keeping in concert with the upward momentum of mental health addiction and all that stuff it's time to get rid of the anonymity part of it obviously you tell me something in private i'm not going to tell nobody sure but there are more of us recovering addicts or people that have had to deal with recovering addicts than there are normal people because actually normal people don't exist so it's time to just put that stigma to bed get out there show them what it's all about because i don't know anybody that hasn't set through a 12-step class that doesn't Sit back and go, the whole world needs to do this. (laughs) Yeah, man. You know, and Mm -hmm. so I think that's what I want to do is just to try to make an impact that changes the whole world, you know, and everybody's life. And it's not really changing the world to make the world a better place, but it's actually individualizing it to that person so that they can have the best life that they don't even realize that they can have because they're just all of a sudden just go through life, you know, like a, one of those freaking ping, 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 like ping pong or, or a pinball. Yeah. A pinball machine. Yeah. Most people live life in a pinball machine.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a very good point, man. Like it's funny because I definitely recall having that thought and notion when I was in, um, you know, treatment, like man, everybody, everybody could benefit from this. Like mm-hmm. there is nothing here that I am discovering about myself that, that, everybody couldn't benefit from. And so now I do sort of have this notion, like when I first meet people, I'm like, man, you would benefit from doing some work on yourself, like maybe not a 12-step program, but there's a lot of stuff out there, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, I, I love that that's, that's sort of your mission is just I don't want to say wake people up because i feel like that sort of has a, a negative connotation these days but more or less just get people to realize you know their their true potential there's some work yeah. to be done yeah and there's and there's some you know there's a lot to be gained and, and growth to be had from from taking a good hard look at yourself yeah well in and you know in, in the realm of spreading
0: the message somebody was out there sharing a message when i was available to hear it for the Mm -hmm. first time Mm -hmm. and it was something that i definitely needed even though it didn't necessarily stick right off the rip i i needed to to hear something at some point and and those little things stick and the more we keep coming back what like when i think about the importance of spreading the message i think about the people that remained after i left yeah, cuz i i didn't i didn't get clean and sober after the first time Man. somebody spread the message you know they were taking meetings into the jail and i went to an h and i meeting in jail to get out of my cell like some like so many people do so right. many people go in and they're like yeah i'll go to a meeting get out of my cell and, and where i came from when i first started going to jail in that small town in wyoming um, they they'd let they'd let the h and i panel bring candy in yeah they, they like who who does that, <laughs> but they would it's so, but they didn't I never got any dope from them or anything, but I mean you you could sneak it in that way, I guess, but they'd bring candy in, and of course, we're gonna go and like as as adult children go and get candy and sit through this thing and they they were sharing the message of recovery. And even though I didn't stick around, I went back sometime later and those same people were still there. Yeah. And, and I could see the growth in them from when mm-hmm. I first met them to the time that I came back. And I could see how much worse off I was. And so the people that stick around, it's really important that we do stick around so that the people that hear our message, when they're ready to come back, they come back and they see us still here, still thriving, still growing, still working on this stuff, still learning ourselves, and changing our message as we grow, and they can have something compare it to, and go, wow, man, Like you were here five years ago when I came in, and you're still here now, and you look completely different, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And so I think that's important, too, is just that, that commitment to, to stay and, and share, continue, continue, continue
1: yeah well and and I think though like one, one thing that you touched on is like it's important to remember you know that I that somebody spread that message to me right yeah and, and I had to be in a certain place where I was ready to hear that message and so you know in in these instances we can be overly eager a lot of times and I know like when I was, fresh out of recovery man I wanted to have a conversation <laughs> with anybody that was drinking period mm-hmm. you know like let's Go talk sa- about it man save let's, the world uh, yeah exactly and like now you know I'm to a point where it's like I'm ready to spread the message to anybody that's open to hearing it you know mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that just like we did you know like we had to be in a position where we were we were willing to and open enough to to you know flirt with the possibility that there might be an easier softer way you know and uh, and I think that those are the people that need to, that need to hear that message, and and those are the people that we hope to reach. Yeah. In those instances, because sick people need help, man, and they need yeah. help too. Yeah.
0: And the and the way that the message is being spread is is different now than it used to be, mm-hmm. right? Lt and and recovering addict, they have a pretty unique way of sh- of spreading their message, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, with what you guys are
2: doing with. Yeah, we, yeah I mean, so our digital online community is huge. But I think another part of our local program that we are really trying to do is actually just get them to hang out with us. Not only are we spreading that message, but we're living it in front of them. You know, that salt of the earth type thing. Yeah, the example. flavored, flavor, living the example, and being sober friends. Yeah, you know, That's the first hardest thing to find in early sobriety is a sober friend. So right. if you can be their first sober friend and go do laser tag or go hiking you know in that environment it just shakes them out of there yeah that routine of survival and in addiction you know
0: that, that example thing is so important man right you know, being being the example remaining there the examples that came before me like you mentioned you know AA starting in 1933 what year did they start did you say 33 34 30
2: and then the book was published in 35 in
0: 35 and so like that was one message spread after the other, you know, two people found one person. Right. It became three people. And, and I
2: think, and I'm not trying to talk crap on AA or anything, but I think it's lost its fundamental message. Because Bill W. would go to a detox center and sit by his bed. Uh-huh. Somebody right. just in dire, like at the bottom, pain, hurting, who knows what legal bills and all that stuff they had going on. And he would sit there with them. You know, it's actually getting in the trenches more than just you know saying some stuff or passing out flyers it's like getting in there when they're hurting the most Mm -hmm. and i love i want to try to be that example and show other people and just kind of cultivate that as a culture in itself. Well, and I think before, and that, and that's sort of the
1: evolution of AA, and 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 I think, you know, we, we talk here and we're not necessarily a 12-step um, podcast Spoke by any people. means, yeah, or, yeah, or a spokesperson. But. Um, but, you know, a lot of times in those early days, it was promotion mm-hmm. um, versus attraction. And then, you know, somewhere along the way they realized, You know that maybe this isn't our best approach. Maybe we just need to be here, be sober, and be beacons of hope for these people. Hey, like look, like look over here. This this is what you can have if you venture this way. Um, And sometimes, you know, they concluded that sometimes getting in the trenches wasn't the best approach. Right. Um, But you know, I agree with you. Like, I think it has changed. One of the biggest things that I think has changed is anonymity. Like, we're here on this podcast as sober individuals, and. Technically, like in a twelve step or AA program, like this this is not something that you're supposed to do, right? Right. Like um because anonymity uh is forever a, a, a principle of our recovery. Uh-huh. And so to to act in the level of press, radio and film is technically against the traditions but here we are and I think that it's necessary because this is how we reach people now yeah and not with like hey come join AA, but again like with a beacon like hey we're gonna talk about this stuff if you like what we like what we have then maybe you'll get some help maybe it's not AA, maybe it's not um, you know any sort of 12-step program but you can at least see that recovery is possible yeah
0: right? and and what we want to get out there to to people to understand is we drank and we used, and that was our solution for ourselves. Yep. Right. That was, that's what brought us to our knees and, and the willingness to get sober. We drank and we used because initially we uh, like the effect produced by alcohol and drugs, and uh, not necessarily meaning to become uh, addicted to it and dependent on that stuff. It overtook and it consumed our lives. And with the greatest of, intention we tried to, to handle this thing on our own mm-hmm. right there was a period for for each of us that that we thought just we could will ourselves through it we thought that the right job position or the right you know um, commitment or or the how right prayer money or, location we, or yeah.
1: whatever well.
0: would would cure us from the way that we drank and we used and and everything that we tried didn't work we couldn't you know manifest the the power that we needed in order to to quit for long term or be done completely and so uh we found ourselves in a place where there was a message of hope being spread by people that were just like us talking about a solution and that solution that i heard was spiritual in nature Mm -hmm. and i was resistant to that at first because for a long time i still thought that there was something that I was missing inside of my will that would eventually give me the, the needed power that it would take for me to quit on my own. Right. And, and as example after example that they shared with me, this is what happened. You know, I I, I quit for a period of time. I thought I had it licked. You know, like LT shares in his in his story, I decided that after six years or I decided after 12 years that that I was good and I could have a drink for my birthday or there was a celebration and it seemed like a good idea to take a drink. And within a matter of hours or days, we were back in that state of desperation. And that that story cropped up over and over and over and over again. And I could relate with that story over and over and over again. The same situations happening in different people's lives, the same face of despair happening over and over that I could relate with that that finally put me in a position where I could shut up and listen to this message that was being shared with me. And I needed that. And then I could experiment with the solution that they were talking about, these fucking 12 steps and this getting honest and this... Sharing openly with other people and trying prayer and 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 those kind of things, and then I had my own experience with right. that message, mm-hmm. right? And then, as I had my own experience, and that solidified into truth and reality for me, I was able to share that experience with other people, and being able to share that with other people, putting myself in a position where I could show up sober. And people could see the difference in me from from the alcoholic and drug addict in desperation to this person in sobriety. There was a contrast there that people could see that something Mm -hmm. was different about me, just like the story of Bill W. and Abby. You know, when Abby showed up, and for people that don't know Alcoholics Anonymous Mm -hmm. history or anything, Bill W. was one of the founders of AA, and he tells a story about one of his old childhood friends, one of his old friends from, from when he was younger, showed up at his house sober, and he could see that there was something different about this person. Yeah. Not just that he was sober, but there was something different about him, and, and we get to be that message through experimentation and, and showing up and being in the place where that can help. And I, I think that's something that's so great about what LT's doing is, is he's being that example every day of every week of what it used to be like and what it's like now and, and we'll get into that with this story, but um, you know, I, I, I don't know, it's just some stuff that I was thinking about. I see you guys nodding your heads and and what do you think? I don't know. What
2: all that. I'm <laughs> uh, Doing what we do today, and I'm not trying to actually make it a part of the program. It's just like living my normal life, right? Doing my my new hobbies. And mountain biking happens to be one of them. And we have some other friends who still drink and stuff. They're the average tempered drinkers, whatever. They're not. Their their lives uh, are still responsible. together. I'm not yeah. worried about it. I don't even talk to them about it. But the other morning, we go to go mountain biking, and they call us. Oh, we can't show up mountain biking. Now we're so hungover. It's just like... I don't miss that. Yeah. I'm up. I feel good. I just had a good breakfast. My heart's pumping great oxygenated blood, you know, and I get to go and have fun on this mountain right now. First half of the day instead of nursing a hangover. Yeah. And that stuff, I just don't miss at all. Yeah.
1: I have actually, I feel like I've experienced that recently myself where it's like somebody's talking about a hangover, taking them out for the whole day, Yeah, the whole day. And I'm just like, fuck, was that really how it was? Like, Fuck that! Really was how it was, and I also um, man, I don't know how I did it because there was so many nights where you know, like a fucking Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I'm hammered, drunk, and then I go to work at seven o'clock. Yeah, the still the next drunk, day, and I'm like, how yeah. did I,
2: how did I even do it? You know, but, I feel like I've wasted because I'm 42 now, right? And I started my drug use early. It's not a abnormal story, pretty normal story. But I look at all the wasted days spent nursing hangovers, all the wasted days running and trying to figure things out to get more and just, and having, and just busy as hell doing nothing. Yeah. Right. I want to, this last half of my life, my goal is to rewrite it, right? My eulogy. I don't know. You guys have probably heard this before. Yeah. You share about this in your story. Yeah. Yeah, Rewrite my eulogy. I don't want my eulogy to be a lie when somebody gets up there and people in the yeah who yeah. The hell wrote this thing yeah. you know
0: but actually lt was such a great man and he's leaving <laughs> and you die in your alcoholism yeah. and, so, and and people are like what do we say good about
2: him yeah and they yeah. have to muster something up. because yeah. yeah. that's the nice thing to do something from
0: when you were in kindergarten some fucking picture that you drew versus imagine if you eulogies were now.
1: written
2: tr- tr- in oh, truth man. like this dude is a piece of shit.
1: Yeah. Well, and I know that that's one, <laughs> one exercise that, uh, that Willie has had me do that he's talked about is, mm. is actually like writing your eulogy. Like what would yeah. people yeah. say about you right now? And then, you know, and then rewrite it. And what would people, what, what would you want people to say about you? Exactly. Like how you that's that's from been from my motto
2: since eight. I heard that. And I was probably been four or five years, I heard on the radio and and it just stuck with me and now it's like okay that's my life's yeah. mission i want to rewrite the last half of my life i want it to be just as best as i can make it mm-hmm. obviously we have ups and downs life's life but how how can i make it better yeah what can i do today to make tomorrow better? And, and it seems like that service right that yeah, being of service, being a service to
0: other people is is
2: the 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 way to make life meaningful yeah less me And the the sooner you can get into service i think the better like sharing the message and stuff you can give them what you got and what you know but to get into service immediately because you're trying to replace the time what did we do like if you had a nine to five right five o'clock you get off work you're hitting the liquor store if you're me and you're Drunk and before you blank, you're at work again. Hungover, like you know. Yeah. So you're trying to take up that time, and through service, you are right. Time spent in service is right. time spent sober. Ah, yeah, you like that. The, the new, I like that. <laughs> the new RA slogan. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. How's how's that go? The time spent in service is time spent sober. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's absolutely true. Like anytime that I know I'm like working a really fucking good program, I'm like, man, I wouldn't have time to drink right now. Like mm-hmm. there's, I mean, you know, even if I really wanted to like between, you know, meeting with sponsees, going to meetings, like meeting with my sponsor, like, you know, being of service, there is literally no time for me to, to have any sort of drinking career. And I'm like, even if all it's doing, which it's not, but even if all it's doing is occupying my time, yeah, like, There's something to be said for that, you know, like idle hands or the devil's playground. In early
2: recovery, it's important.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Especially if you can get a person to go do some type of service work that by the time they're finished with that job or service work, they're like, I didn't even think about using it. That was like, I was in in that, you know. And that takes some time to get there, but it, it does happen.
1: And that's one of the blessings that we get, you know, is, is 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 being relieved of that obsession. Yeah. And you know, and as we're talking about that, it reminds me that when we talk about spreading the message, like we can't spread anything we don't have. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important that we're still that we're still doing all this stuff, even this far down the road. However much time we have, like we still we still have to be those examples. And 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 a lot of times, like I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to like making amends, that's the amends that I have to make is to now be you know the opposite of the fuckhead that i used to be right like living amends right like my amends for this person is to no longer be that person that deceived them or that hurt them or that caused them that pain and so along with you know being an example so that others can see what a life of sobriety looks like it's also an obligation for me in order to make amends to those people that i had harmed
2: through through that behavior Yep. And living so, amends. Yeah. Especially to my wife first and then to my kids. Yeah, your wife, And then to my family her. and then to the community. Yeah. You know, it's got to start, you know, at the peak of the pyramid, which is yourself and then your wife. If you have one or you're, you're sick. your, your wife. You drug her through some shit. Oh,
0: man. dude. And I, it's and, horrible when I think about it. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into that in your story, too. But now, now being an example, you know, I think it's great that, that you guys do this recovering addict thing together mm-hmm. yeah you know? um, when when you go on uh, lt's live
2: and we'll talk about that after your story too but but she's there with you yeah there's never a time in a in a, a committed relationship or even a father-son relationship or a brother-sister relationship where one of them's an addict and one of them's not and the one that doesn't do drugs is not affected in an addiction type of way that needs work and help and on themselves sure. it screws them up oh, yeah. just as bad they're not like oh yeah he's the addict but no now i've become something because of that that i have to heal from either right. either the hurt or be, or becoming a codependent co-addict themselves right. and i turned my wife straight into a co-addict mm-hmm. and now she's able to share this message and we have people joining our program that are are dealing with you on their own end yeah Yeah. she's dealing with them and she's like oh you know my husband's at home and and he's using this or that and my wife's like let me show you what i did (laughs) you know which i think is
1: so so important like yeah and especially when we're talking about spreading a message that's a message as well right like Mm -hmm. especially to those people because there's a hell of a lot of them out there who were sick right along with us you know For whatever reason, like they get dragged into our shit, and 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 the nice thing is, is that as we heal spiritually, they too will heal heal, heal spiritually. Um, You know, like when we're sick, they're sick. When we get better, they get better. But not without their own work. Like it's important also for for uh, for everybody in the family to be sort of doing their own version of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so I love that, dude. I love that your wife is such a big part of the show. And I like that she gets to be a message as well. And, and, uh, and I think that that's super important. Kind of set the tone. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know? Our kids are involved as well. You know, they didn't go on ski through it. No. Yeah, we drugged them right through it. You know, my kids were scared to death of me when I'd come home. They didn't know who I was. Hmm. They didn't you know. know who they were getting. Is this the funny guy today? Is this the jerk? Or is this guy that's just going to completely ignore us? You know? Yeah. So.
1: Well oh yeah, it's 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 awesome to have you here, man, and and, uh, and I think that this is such a, a great topic because you know this this is all a way for us to connect. It's mm-hmm. a way for, for you know, us to connect with you, it's a way for um, us to connect with the world around us, us to connect with other people in sobriety and all those people that have that sort of like minded ill thinking. That require the same sort of work in order to stay out of yeah. that, and uh, and it's good for me because, dude, some of this shit is hard to talk about, right? Like we do things in our addiction, and even when we're not in our active addiction, just in our you know character defects, that's hard to talk about. <laughs> and dude, if yeah. you would have told me that, like, but for example, let me just give you an example here, right? So last Saturday I went to a meeting, um. And I took, I took a sponsee and in that meeting was my sponsor who lives out of state, he happened to be here, and then my sponsor's sponsor. So the whole lineage was there, right? Which is super cool and awesome and way inspiring to remember like this is how that program of AA works. But in that meeting, it was all men. So there's 20 men and we're talking about sex. 20 men Saturday afternoon talking about sex each one's got a different story some of them are talking about how they don't want to have sex with their wives some of them are talking about being a womanizer some of them are talking about masturbating too much some of you know and like this is how I want to spend my time (laughs) you know what I mean like it's a trip sometimes like dude like I leave that experience feeling so good. I'm like, dude, like how cool was that to be able to talk about that shit yeah. openly in a meeting, like when it's super awkward, super uncomfortable, and we know we can.
2: That's one yeah. of the first things I noticed in IOP, is so at work, right, you show up to the job, I worked on base, hey, how was your weekend? was good, good. Ask me that every Monday, yeah. I'm gonna, uh, one more time, ask me one more time. <laughs> and then you just drop the cliches, right? So they think you're listening, thank you, Major James Keenan. Um, And it's just this mundane. Nobody's honest with nobody. Everybody's got their masks on. As soon as I got into my IOP, that breath of fresh air of honesty Mm -hmm. is what Mm -hmm. kept me coming back. I was like, oh, my God, why does this feel so good? Just to sit here, listen to people, be real and be honest. And then and then just the doors open after that.
1: Absolutely dude you're just reminding me of like all the all the times where i had that job where i would see people in the hall and just you just sort of <laughs> how's your day going? Good. How's yours? Great. You know and it's just living so living the dream. So super fi- living One the dream. Time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, living the dream. Like, oh, you motherfucker, One you say that. When You say that again, i dare you. Yep. <laughs> Fucking liar. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. So man, it's just super, yeah, that honesty, I think is is a great point. I think that when we're out there spreading the message that we are honest because I think that I know I have the tendency, like whenever I'm put up to being like, hey man, we want you to come and share at this meeting. We want you to come and talk here or talk there. It's like, all of a sudden I feel like, fuck, I don't know if I have it all figured out. Like I start you know, questioning and doubting my own recovery and then Mm -hmm. I'm like, do I wanna be honest? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do. Like I have to be honest because I have this tendency to wanna just, you know, sugarcoat things and make them sound like they're better I, than they I are. I want to show everybody how recovered yeah, I am. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so recovered. <laughs> this is what you like. I don't want to go in there and be like, well, fuck, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I've gained a lot of weight. And, you know, like, just, I don't want to tell them exactly how it is because there's this part of me that, that feels like it's not good enough. Yeah. But if I can remember that honestly, like, how it was compared to how it is now is so, so much better and so beautiful. So I really have to go through this process any time that I'm asked to be of service in that way. And remember like, dude, you've done a lot, Like, right? Like go through this process. Do better of,
2: than you think you exactly. are. Exactly. Don't compare yourself to your own ego.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. And I always say that, right, William? I'm like I'm doing better than I think I am. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's always the case. Yeah, because we're not some perfect people we're human, up here.
0: Yeah, right. we're human we struggle every day my sponsor reminds me of that every time I talk to him you're human
2: I threw a baby fit like probably a week ago I was like okay here's I laid out my I even got up and did my new spiritual work right I'm um, I'm now it doesn't always work let me show you, you how gotta, spiritual I am yeah you got to put in the work <laughs> and sometimes even the work you're doing isn't good enough and you got to continue to work so I put in my work I thought I did my thing I'm like I'm gonna grab my dogs get a burrito from the gas station run the dogs for a minute I get to the gas station there's two burritos left I'm like third guy in line okay that one's mine for sure dude behind me starts talking right i got my two rock stars and i'm getting that burrito she starts helping him grabs the last burrito and i threw a freaking fit <laughs> i threw my things on the ground and walked out of the store <laughs> drove to the next gas station right i'm like i'm getting subway instead subway's closed i'm like god damn it yeah, go I'm grab kidding. some rock stars and then i then i had to stop wait a minute you just threw a selfish baby fit i mean they saw me storm out of there i didn't oh, yeah. say nothing yeah but they saw me storm out of there i left my drinks right there on the counter they had to put them away i'm sure Completely. I, right after my awesome spiritual work yeah. I did, you yeah. know? and I stopped, and I was like, "Okay, guess what? This day's plan is not working. Start over right now." And I changed my plan completely. Instead of going to the park and running the dogs, I went to the mountains, and I hiked. I rode my bike, and the dogs followed me for probably two hours till I got to this awesome spot, this overlook. Got you know sweaty, and boom, then it hit. And it took me from because I get up at six thirty. From six thirty to eleven. To get my head right. Uh-huh. And I had to put everything on pause. And sometimes you got to do that in recovery. You can't oh, just... Yeah. And we're not perfect. And we have to work that hard in it, you know? And our, that's the, there's the battle right there inside, right? Yep.
0: And and and, and that's a great message. Yeah. To, to remind people, you know, because you have some pretty solid recovery. Uh, and you're willing to share that it's not perfect. Yeah. It doesn't look like you think it's going to every day. No. You know? Even no, if you
2: put all the little tools in line. Do everything yeah.
1: that...
0: I was, everything that worked yesterday,
1: you know, <laughs> it all worked yesterday. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because like the other, like, what was it? Like uh, a week and a half ago, I was on the phone with Willie, like driving home from work. And we're, we're literally talking about like AA stuff. And uh, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? And this guy, this guy has just like pulled up behind me, like super random, like, and he started flashing his brights at me. And I'm like, what? what's your problem? Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I like pull over to the next lane, let him get in front of me. And then I get behind him and then I'm tailgating him. Willie's like, what the fuck are you doing? Dude? And I'm like, I'm about to show this guy how spiritual I am. And dude, it was like, it was like at least it took me like at least an hour to sort of shake that whole situation and be like, dude, come on. Like, yeah, yeah. I, like I, I'm not the one. Like it's not me. It's that dude. Like just let that dude do whatever he's gonna do. You know what I
2: mean? They but, pay no. no attention to the sick passenger that needs to get to the hospital.
1: Yeah, maybe, I mean, who knows? Who knows <laughs> right. what the deal is? You know, and, and 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 I'm not in any position to decide what's happening to that dude. Like, yeah. I'm only in a position to help myself. And so always, dude. Yeah, I appreciate that story, dude. Cause uh, cause there's been many, many a times where it's like, I could do for some stopping and restarting of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an important thing for people to hear is like, dude, you can always
2: start your day over the day is not lost. And so now I get up in the morning to get a rock star. I drive right past that gas station.
1: You'll show them <laughs> never been back? Never been back. Show them.
2: I don't need your stupid burritos.
0: They're no, delicious. A little bit of growth, right? You stay away from the things that cause us pain. Yeah. Well, I could
2: go back. It's still being me being yeah. a prick, you know. Yeah.
0: Well one day you'll make amends so by going think, in there and yeah. buying everybody burritos. What do you think the uh, the ultimate benefit of sharing this message is? Like if you were to if you were to. to because, I can't stop thinking about me. Like, that's
2: that's well, my problem, yeah. and that's my. Hopefully, we get lots of subscribers and likes, uh, and we just, maybe yeah, we'll ooh, be on call. Joe Rogan next week. Yeah, the, the ultimate, right? Like, <laughs> my ego <laughs> really wants all that. Uh, but, I, for so, me, when I fantasize or imagine, I always picture that person. My favorite stories are like a year or two later. The guy comes from, you know, out of nowhere. And like, dude, I was at this meeting that you shared at. You probably didn't even see me there because I was in the back and I didn't say nothing, but something stuck. Uh, that one person that's- is that, maybe that happened had, to you? Yeah, it has, it especially has, yeah. on this digital stuff, right? We're in the digital world and I tell my viewers, I'm like, come out of the digital, digital bushes and just say hi. But they don't, you know, some of them just stay back there. You would talk about anonymity. Mm-hmm. They hide way far back in the digital world. Well, it's easy. And so that person that finally makes it out of the digital bushes and says, hey, I've been watching you guys for a year now and my life is different, that is, yeah, the part of sharing the message that I love the unexpected successes because there's so many failures mm. in it. Reminds me of baseball. You know, a good batting average is point three, which means you failed seven times up to bat. Failure, 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 and that's the mindset you need to have a baseball player's mindset, um, and. To watch that success just instantly energize and amps me. Like I'll get side messages all the time. Hey, this is so encouraging, which they don't realize it, but that that like feeds my soul to continue Mm -hmm. to, yeah, because this is a dark path, sharing the message, especially if you put your life into it, making podcasts or going to recovery, becoming people's sponsors and taking on new people. It's daunting. It's hard not to have it affect your heart. Right. And so those small successes by sharing this message just that that's my hope right there. Yeah. I think that's
1: perfect. Well, and it's funny because like I feel like in the end like we're still just looking for that that rush of endorphins. Um, <laughs> it's like I I get it now from from when people send us messages, you know, and tell us, you know, like man, what you're doing is making a difference. Like keep doing it. And it's impacting yeah, in a good way. Exactly. And 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 so like in the end it's like fuck yeah. Yeah. Just like it used to feel like well, maybe not like it used to feel, but at one time, that one time that I got high and it worked, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, now I now I get that high from helping people, you know? Yeah. And, and it comes and from- And it's a good healthy high. Yeah, exactly. You you know? It comes from when I, I, I see them glow in recovery. Yes. It's like, look at Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Look at you fucking go, dude. Yeah. Giving that life back. Mm-hmm. Speaking oh. of life back. Yeah. So LT, we want to get into your story now. Um, you guys are going to really, really dig LT's story and his delivery, and uh, I can't wait to share it with everybody. Let's uh, let's play it for him. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwashed Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwashed Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at The Other Side of Hell. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwashed Coffee has your back no matter what your poison. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code Side at brainwashedcoffeecode.com. Clean your bean with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here
2: is this week's War Story. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm LT. That stands for Leonard Ted. Uh, it's kind of a funny story how everybody started calling me LT. It has nothing to do with the military. It has nothing to do with Lieutenant. I ain't no awesome football player neither. But my dad named me Leonard. <clears throat> my mom hated it. And my cousins caught wind. My cousins are all 10, 12 years older than me. That my dad hated it um, when they called me LT instead of Leonard. And so my mom refused to call me Leonard. And so... They brought it on my crib and LT's just stuck. Later in life, I tried to be a professional when I decided it's okay. I'm done with this LT kid stuff and introduced myself as Leonard and LT came right back around within like a month. So I've succumbed to it. My name's LT. Get over it. (laughs) Initial guy, right? I was born here in Ogden, Utah, uh, 1979. I'm 42 years old. I'm going through a book right now called, um, staying sober. It's a relapse prevention book. And it's really taken us through our childhood right now. And when I think back at our childhood, we're really focused on like on grammar school and you know, the age between five and 10. And at that age, you kind of are just growing up in life and you think that's normal. Like this is just, you're growing up. That's what parents are doing. This is life. And this is normal. And now that I'm looking at it in sobriety, um, my childhood was chaotic, right? My parents divorced when I was age seven and they had us try to remember what their relationship was like and what our relationship, my relationship was like to my mom and my dad. And with my mom, it was very distant and she was loving. She wasn't mean, but neglectful in the fact that she was never there. And then my dad was the opposite. He wasn't physically abusive or anything, but he was mentally always taking us, you know, whoever he was fighting with at the moment, we got wrapped up in the middle of it and he was dragging us from place to place. Right. Until I ended up living with my grandma at age 13 and still the same type of relationship that he had with my mom ended up with him and his, his mom and the fights and pack your bags were leaving this and that. And and so I'm looking back on my childhood. I'm like, golly, no wonder it was, you know, maybe that's why I started using, you know, Jiminy Christmas, but, um, So, yeah, so 13 years old, I'm living with my grandma out in Roy in a trailer park. We were little trailer park kids. And I remember smoking cigarettes, even, well, even back, even when I was six, I was smoking cigarettes and lit a whole huge field on fire. And so I always had this uh, desire to just, you know, go try other things and, and do what you weren't supposed to do. It was kind of just embedded in me. It felt like, and so 13, uh, my dad moves us to Michigan clears out, clear out to Michigan. All of a sudden, poof, I'm in Michigan he, he holds me back a grade. It was like seventh grade holds me back a grade, introduces me to my teacher. And as soon as we walk in the classroom, he's like, this is your teacher. Uh, and my teacher reaches his hand out to, inter- you know, shake it. And he's like, hello, Ted. And I'm like, Ted look up at my dad. And he's like, gives me this, like, just go with it. You know? So my dad's trying to like, just rechange it and start everything over. Re- you know, all of a sudden I'm Ted. And as soon as I was named Ted, Something clicked. And, and if you ever watch any of my other videos on YouTube, I have two characters. One is Leonard and the other one is Ted. And Ted is always the bad guy. He's the addict. Right. And this is kind of the story behind my Ted. As soon as I started being called Ted, it was a blacked out bedroom, Metallica blasting on both of my head. You know, I had speakers just Metallica black and, and crazy. Right. So 15, I started getting into drugs, smoking weed, drinking, and that's all I cared about. at age 15, I worked at McDonald's. I bought a car and I ran away, got in the car and left. And I haven't been home since, uh, by the age 17, I was tampering with meth, taking acid, Uh, drinking, smoking pot, you know, is all I was doing, just partying, drinking, ended up with some stupid petty theft charges and in a jail cell out in Michigan and Michigan's culture is a lot different than here in Utah. Right. And I'm this little 17 year old and I look like I'm 12 and I'm in this jail cell, scared to death, end up on probation. I go to my probation or I get out of jail. My brother here from Utah calls me. Get your ass home now. I'm like, all right. He's like, you can come live with me and we're going to get you cleaned up, get you on the straight and narrow. We're going to get you a job doing iron work and sheet metal and all this kind of stuff, right? And I'm like, all right, sounds like a plan. So by the age of 18, I'm back in Utah, but Ted is still alive and well. <laughs> Nothing changes. i freaking partying every night, trying to meet and hook up with Zoom in many chicks as I can find, drink as much as I can. And I'm the, I'm the bad influence, right? all my friends liked to party, but I'm the ones that I'm the one that they were afraid to party with after a certain hour. And I would just take it too far, take it, you know, and I was doing acid. I was doing ecstasy. I was doing anything I could get my hands on. I was getting, I was changing, you know, changing jobs all the time, getting fired or just quitting and not showing up. And that's 18, 19 years old, 20 um, about 20 years old, I ended up painting and working for a painter. So I'm painting houses and, you know, construction sites and all this kind of stuff. And that turned me into, <laughs> if you're, if you know anything about painting, it's all about alcohol, painting sheetrock alcohol. Right. Um, so we're drinking on the job, constantly drinking out in Wyoming here and there. And that one falls apart. I end up just partying that job away. And then I end up getting a job with a company called sure steel and and they're iron workers and end up in Vegas and I'm doing iron work and fall in love with the girl that's at the receptionist. So I stay there and that was still just drinking. That's the first time I smoked crack was out at Nellis Lodge. Uh, that was right around nine 11. I was high on crack when the planes were crashing into the <laughs> towers. Uh, we got, well, I was already up that morning, right? So the TV was on and there's the airplane I'm like, whoa. And I watched the other plane hit the tower and we tried to go to the Hoover dam, but it was closed down. So I'm drinking, doing drugs, not being responsible. All I care is about instant gratification and pleasure. Right. And how high can I get, I end up coming back to Utah and ended up selling Kirby's now, right. Quit that job for sure. Still. And now I'm selling Kirby's and I, I got really good at selling Kirby's. I was number four in the nation. Um, I kind of took it serious for a minute, but then meth came along. Right. And this is kind of where all of a sudden one drug grabbed me by the throat, picked me up and just slammed me on the ground. Um, started doing meth. We're doing meth in the, in the Kirby trucks. And, and pretty soon, nothing mattered, but meth, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke weed. I, I did meth and that was it within a year and a half. Meth took me to places that are just You know, all the war stories, the darkest dungeons you can imagine. I literally felt like I was holding hands with a demon, like a a literal, evil, satanic demon. And it was fun. And I loved it. And I would say, hey, what are we doing next? And any scheme or scam that would come across my mind and this demon wanted me to do, we did it. And that I ended up getting a felony uh, burglary, almost went to prison for 15 years. Um, I go to jail and I'm in there for about four months. And so they let me out cause I didn't really have any too much crime and, and you know, no violent crime in my history. Um, they let me out. I end up in salt Lake on probation in West Valley at my aunt's house. And, you know, she tried to be the loving aunt and give me a place to stay, got rid of all the guns in the house, you know, and I stayed there probably three weeks I made it. And I was already trying to hide and smoke cigarettes so that she wouldn't see. And, and I think within three weeks, I came back to ogden got my own little apartment um and i think i started doing stucco about then um and and i relapsed on meth and i relapsed on meth this night we're walking down the street me and these two big tall black dudes and we walk in it's probably 2 a.m in the morning and we walk behind this restaurant and undercover cops out of nowhere just surround us jump out of the car get your hands out of your pockets so we're putting our hands up i'm on probation um, they take all our meth, <clears throat> they take all our drugs and stuff, write us a ticket, take our information and then poof, they were gone and left us standing there. And i was just like, Whoa, that was crazy. So I go see my probation officer at the time I was supposed to, I cleaned up, kind of scared me again. You know, I go see my probation officer and she's like, so we've got this come across my desk. You got busted with this and this in your pocket, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm fighting it. That was racist. We're walking down the road. They saw two black dudes. I was with them and they were racist. <laughs> <laughs> so she looks at me like okay and since i was fighting it she wasn't gonna <clears throat> throw me in jail right away right so i go to work i'm doing stucco doing pretty good uh bought a truck uh, a little 1500 hundred dollar chevy s10 or something like that um and probation officer calls me in go take a drug test and i had been smoking weed the whole time you know so nothing changed went to jail four months, get out on probation, right back to using, you know, relapse, nothing, uh, nothing even is like in my body or my mind. Like you're an addict. Like this is a problem. You can't do drugs. It's just this blind. I don't know. I, don't, I can't even like describe what the blind denial is. It's, it's insane. But anyway, I go fail my drug test cuff up right back to jail, spend another few months in jail. And this time something changed. I was not only scared straight because I was facing now 15 years in prison. Now I have to go face the judge again after violating probation. Um, but I landed in my jail cell and I'm down a level. So I'm locked up six and six, you know, two man cells instead of the four or the, of the bunk beds and stuff. And so I started reading the Bible. And I read the Bible, uh, just the New Testament, you know, it has the old and New Testament. I read the New Testament from Matthew to Jude. And revelation is the last book of the bible but i so i read it from matthew to jude jude's the second to last i read it every night that that chunk of the bible every night for 30 nights in a row and something changed i like my eyes open things fell off my eyes <clears throat> um, i come out of my jail cell I, I like see clearer and right then something had changed in me but I, i'm not sure quite what it was right so after i get out of jail they send me to a halfway house and i want to succeed i don't want to get in trouble no more i'm scared i almost went to prison for 15 years shaking in front of a judge you know shackled and all that kind of stuff um i end up at the halfway house get out of the halfway house um and i start doing good i go right back to work for the dude uh his name was gentry we did stucco for another five years after this um and we did a lot of stucco around this valley we we, we, we ran a good awesome company and i and i Cleared my credit. I started going up the responsible ladder, but the day I got off probation, guess what I did? Right back to smoking weed. That night, smoked weed, got in the garage because I used to love smoking weed and just get to work. Right, go on the wall, spread the mud, you know, whatever. And so I built this cool freaking little bookshelf out of stucco, <clears throat> and then instantly I was right back to every day. I had a little wooden box in my pocket, little one hitter. Start the job noon, all day. You know. It was, that, and then cigarettes, weed, cigarettes all day long. And I did that for like six years. Didn't get in trouble, kept being responsible. Uh, had a couple kids, bought our first house. Um, and then it was time to quit doing stucco. So I quit doing stucco. This is kind of a detailed story, isn't it? Um, <laughs> quit doing stucco and I end up uh, working, selling stucco products for Swanson's. And I ended up getting a CDL and driving and it took me 45 days to get clean. I was drug testing myself. uh, And so that was, that should have been another red flag, right? I just went through NUCCC, which was a drug rehab place. And then I had to do an aftercare thing. And still to this day, I cannot look back and remember anything about drug rehabilitation, rehab, or any part of that. Nothing stuck. I don't know what it did. I must've just been, like I said, scared straight. 15 years in prison, I'm never touching meth again. Weed, love it. Still gonna do that, right? But now they drug test. I need a new job, so I quit smoking weed. Stop smoking weed. About shoot, what was it? 2008. I quit smoking weed only to get this job. It's the only reason. And then in 2010, now this is the craziest part of my story, and I tie this all back to my higher power, which I found in that jail cell reading the Bible. <clears throat> 2010. I get a phone call. Go get your GED. <laughs> and apply for this job on base. I said, okay, I did it, right? Got my GED, I think it took a couple of tries, but 30 years old, I finally get a diploma. I apply for this job on base and you can see this little uh, jet right here. It's kind of special to me. I got a little tattoo of a jet under here because in 2010, I'm this uneducated drug abuser, been to jail, have a felony on my record and I end up with a secret clearance working with the United States Air Force, right? If that's not God doing things for me that I can, like, five, six times a week, and I I get healthy, right? About 34 years old, I'm like, yeah, this is cool, man. I'm responsible. I'm making good money. I got a secret clearance. My life is amazing. I got some kids, a wife, and a house. Uh, One weekend, we have a birthday party, and I decide I'm drinking. And I hadn't drank for three years, you know, or longer, actually. I didn't really drink. At all, actually, after I got out of the halfway house, it was just weed. And then when I got the job on base, I didn't drink. I was just, and I just decided at you know, 34 years old, I'm having a birthday party. We're drinking. As soon as I start drinking, <clears throat> fun, right? Party. I ended up falling off a horse, breaking my ribs. It was a great. Uh, I would drink on special occasions on the weekends. It would start with Corona, like a six pack. And this is age 34, right? Quickly, that turned into about a pint of whiskey every night every night. And I'm still not having a problem. I'm just drinking. I'm just enjoying life, right? It just feels good. I work hard and I freaking come home. I've bought a house. I got a razor. I got a motor home. I got kids. I'm responsible. I can have a pint of whiskey at night. I'm a man, right? That pint starts turning into gallons on the weekends, but during the week, it's just the pint. That's how I limited myself. That's another part of the denial and justification. Um, 2017, this is where the story really punched me in the guts. <clears throat> My son's in a Horrible accident. Some of you have seen him. His name's Link. He's my third boy down. Him and uh, some of the neighborhood kids go up the street in this UTV. It's a little dump bed truck, little you know UTV. Went eight miles an hour, little farm thing. They go up this hill, put it in neutral. They come down. It flips. They're doing about 35, 40. It flips. It popcorns all the neighbor kids and my other two oldest boys out of the the machine he ends up i in my mind i'm picturing it now ends up hanging on and it pulls him under and the tire lands on his head and drags him down the road uh, and guess what i guess where i'm at i'm in the house just a house away my son comes up and i had just cracked my pint right just cracked it took a couple chugs off and of getting back into my prime of night routine and my oldest boy comes running dad dad i kind of heard something in the background, like I don't, a little crash or something. So, so when I seen him run past the window and come get me, I knew something wasn't right. So I jump up, I run to the corner. I see the UTV, it's tipped on its side. I look over my nephew, he's laying on the ground. His uh, leg's broken, his bone's sticking out of his leg, his arm's doing one of the Z things. And he's just screaming bloody murder, right? I look up further up the street and I can see the other kids just crawling around and moaning and one has a big gash in his head my second sundown had done he flew out and kind of did one of those uh what do they call that what is scorpion he does the scorpion right Ugh, cracks a vertebrae in his back um and i get around the machine and i look and it's link right my, my boy's laying on the ground he's choking on his blood <laughs> you know arm out and it's just like he's like reaching and his eyes just about poked out of his head and my sister had just got done doing CPR on him. And I grab her and I'm just like, Phew! I just throw her out of the way. And I'm just like, fuck. And I punch the bottom of this machine. And you can see I got like a big knuckle now. I broke my hand. Um, because he's he's an accident-prone kid. And I scream, Why the fuck is it always ling? And so I just jump down and I'm like shaking him. I'm like, Come on, dude, stay with me. You know, what do you do? I just I did what I saw in the movies, stay with me. What do you, you know, blood's dripping off my arms. as I'm holding them. And you can hear in the background sirens just <laughs> tell her just loud and close and all over me. And then and there, the whole chain of events, it, it, when I look back on it, all things work together for good to those who are called and chosen, right? Um, my sister had just left because her daughter was sick. She pulled out of her driveway to go get her some Wendy's and she's seen the accident. My sister's a nurse. She's about to be a doctor now. Um, she sees it, so she hauls ass up there, does CPR. I come out, all I do is freak out, right? Scream, yell, I tip him on his side because his mouth is just he's choking on his blood. And a couple seconds later, a doctor shows up, wearing plain clothes, unzips this bag, starts doing suction stuff. Cops show up, take over and take him out of my hands. I get up and my sister's like, you want to call somebody, and I'm like, I don't know anybody's phone numbers off the top of my head. So I run back to the house. I'm trying to get a hold of the wife, and she's she's on base too in a secret place, so they can't have their phone. So I had a hard time getting a hold of her. Uh, ambulances show up, so I jump in the ambulance with my son. I'm just kind of giving you the whole story of what happened to him. Uh, we go to McCady. Boom! You know, they pull him out of the ambulance. Doors open. 25 doctors waiting for him, and I'm thinking, God, is it this bad? Like. Is it this bad? And the door's just shut. Nobody's answering my questions. And the, the health lady's just like, Hey, come over here, have a seat, wash your hands. Cause I had blood all over me. You know uh, the, the driver of the, the um, ambulance comes up, gives me a big hug and then leaves. And all of a sudden you hear helicopter lands. Boom, Link comes out of the freaking 25 doctors and they're wheeling him to the helicopter. So I jump in the helicopter with him and oof, we fly to primaries. Same thing. As soon as we land at primaries, out, boom, doors open. And now there's 10 times more doctors, you know. And I'm like, how is he gonna live? What's going on? You know, and I'm just freaking out. Um, and that was my moment of total desperation. I've never seen anything like that. You just kind of go through it. A lot of people say, I couldn't live through that. You have no choice, you're just going through it. Um We end up at Primary Children's for two months, living at the Ronald McDonald House. And guess what I'm doing every night at the Ronald McDonald House? I've already mapped out every liquor store in route to this hospital. And every night I'm sneaking in whiskey and I'm getting slobbery, tears, snot drunk every night and freaking out, screaming at God because we don't know if he's going to die. The first night we're there, the doctor's like, if he makes it till tomorrow, I'm like, what the fuck do you mean if? what do you, and so we nicknamed this doctor, we called him Dr. Doom. Um, he had total bedside manners, never broke character ever, you know? So we just like that, fuck, that's Dr. Doom. Don't listen to that, you know, um, at about three weeks in of his coma and all that stuff, the doctor comes in and was like, uh, we have to fix the bones in his face. I mean, he crushes everything crushed, right? You got to fix this. And in order to fix it, we have to um, put a trach and a feeding tube in. And if we put a trach and a feeding tube in the state that he's in right now and he doesn't come out of it, you're taking this home. So this weekend, I want you guys to contemplate pulling the plug Monday. And that was probably the heaviest shit I felt in my entire life ever. Right. Um, and so we make it through that weekend. And of course that weekend's a heavily intoxicated drunk weekend for me you know imagine my wife me dragging my wife through this whole time you know she's just as worried and scared sick as i am but i now she's looking at me and i'm slobbering drunk yelling at god um we get there that monday he pinches him on the neck he gives a little twitch and he's like let's give this guy a chance and as soon as he said that the biggest weight ever lifted off of me but for the next two years after that case so he's he's okay now he has a he has brain damage they had to remove his skull uh he started quickly recovering after the doctor was like let's give this little guy a chance um and he's got school troubles you know he's got i mean the accident did jack him up he can't see out of one eye he's deaf in one ear um but that gave me the justification and the excuse i needed Mm -hmm. to basically commit suicide drinking and so for the next two years that pint of night turned into a fifth or more every single night and I drank as much as humanly possible on the weekends. As as much as the liquor store was open as as, as much as I could get there, drink, pass out, wake up, drink, pass out. That went on for a couple of years. And I was remodeling the house, which means I demoed the house and never put it back together. Um ended up living in our motor home. Me and the wife never talked. And you got to think what I drug her through. You know, she's taking care of this kid we brought home with a feeding tube. <clears throat> brain damage doctor visits still don't know the I built a deck with a wheelchair ramp because we didn't know what we were bringing home and I'm just blistering drunk I'm ruining I'm, I'm only making it to work maybe two days a week two three days a week at most getting talked to getting counseled until finally I just I had enough I'm sitting in my motor home and I was like a Monday and I had already been I think I had a fifth down. <clears throat> it was like 10 in the morning. And I call my dad and I'm just, and I am belligerent drunk. When I call my dad, I'm like, take me to detox. I gotta go. And I'm just belligerent the whole way to the hospital, get to the hospital. They're like, yeah, you need to go sleep it off for a little while before we're going to admit you. So my dad's like, well, I ain't taking him home. He stuffs me in a hotel room. Um, and then Fleece, when she got off work, came and brought some food later. I'm just passed out, you know, to trying to sleep get to a little bit of sobriety to be able to be admitted admitted into this hospital. So finally we get to that point. I check myself in. I'm in there for three three days, a couple nights, three days. And they're give you know, they're doing the detox stuff. And I get out, I get and there's a metaphor to this next part, because when I got out, I couldn't go back to the job I was doing. I was, I was doing a desk job. I was running, you know, production control for aircraft. And I was like, I need to get back out and build something. And it was weird way that it worked out because as soon as I got out of the detox, I got this side job, building a deck for about eight grand and I tore this lady's deck off her house and I built her one, two to three times the size. And it was beautiful out of redwood. And it, just a gorgeous deck. And that moment, right after detox, I tore something old down and I rebuilt something new. And little did I know that became a metaphor for the life I'm now living and what I had done in there. And so I go to rehab, I go into action, <clears throat> 12-step abstinence program. And I start working my stuff. I'm doing my drug use history, telling my life story, get into step one. And it's about 47 days since I had a drink. And I'm like, you know what? I ain't powerless. You kidding me? you know, who? I just built a deck, you know, I'm a man, I do stuff. Um, And I'm like, I'm drinking tonight. I don't care what anybody says, but I'm not going to have, let it have control over me. So I bought a little half a pint of whiskey. I set this little pint of whiskey in my top drawer and I'm like, I'm going to drink it when I want to drink it. You know, it ain't got no control over me and I'm not going to drink anymore, but that's all I thought about the whole day i get home after a good dinner at javier's and i go home and I was like okay now we're chilling ready for bed now i'll drink it because i chose because i'm in control drink it nothing happens right i didn't get crazy i didn't go wild or nothing but i uh, <clears throat> woke up with a headache went back to rehab and got called out hardcore in class my counselor is like so let me get this straight you went to detox you came to iop because you have a drinking problem now you're gonna go drink to prove you don't have a drinking problem Boom. Logic hit me upside the head. Recovery clicked at that moment. My higher power took over at that moment. And I jumped head first, bought in to recovery. The 12 steps worked them as best I could. Uh, Step one nailed it, right? You got to get that one. Perfect. The rest of them. I still work. I still go through them every day. I may have a bad day. I sit and meditate. I memorized the 12 steps all the way and I can sit and meditate my day through the 12 steps and come out feeling better and able to take on the next day how i've stayed sober for two years now october 5th just recently got my two-year chip um no my nothing no weed no any mind-altering drugs and no alcohol for two solid years and i have built the best life i've ever lived in my life looking back on it with the clarity and the clear vision, the truth that sets you free. The chapter five we talk about and honesty and the honesty with yourself first to be able to be honest with everybody else. And that is how I stay sober. If it wasn't for that and working a program and and putting myself, I heard tonight somebody say, staying in the middle of the herd for accountability, telling on yourself, Uh, like what Will says all the time, recover out loud. Wear it on your sleeve, and you notice. I say it right on my hat, right on my shirt. I'm a recovering addict, and I approach every situation with that open and honesty, and that's what's keeping me alive and well right now today. Is working your program good? What do you think? Can we add me a little thing at the end. Can you hear me? Yeah.
0: Uh fuck, dude. Um, I'm kind of at a loss for words, but. Uh, Let me pause this.
2: So after I got out of rehab, uh, my life had changed. My perspective on life had changed with with my son and seeing how fragile life is and how quickly it can change and how ultimately powerless I am. Um, I wanted to live the last half of my life for people to be proud of. I want to live the last half of my life for me to be proud of. I want to, I'm rewriting my obituary. Had I died an alcoholic, my obituary, they would have had a lie about who I was, right? And somebody in the audience would have been like, bullshit, they made all that up. But now when I die, they're going to rewrite my, they're going to write my obituary and I'm going to have accomplished great things. I hope to. And one of the great things I'm trying to accomplish right now is recovering addict. It's a nonprofit. You can check us out at recoverynadic.org. What we are is a relapse prevention program. We're twofold program right now. We have a thing called recovery in your pocket. We're huge. We got like one of the biggest online communities in the world. As far as recovery goes, we have a discord where you join and you can have a, have a recovery meeting every single day at one o'clock via zoom with people around the world. You pull this out. There's no excuse. To not reach out now. You can get on our discord 24 hours a day, reach out, wait two minutes, and you may have somebody out east in the UK or Australia or India say, Hey, what's going on? You okay? Well, you want to talk and boom, you'll start a meeting. You can jump into a voice chat here locally in Utah. I'm taking the relapse prevention program from, uh, Terrence Gorski called staying sober. It's a huge workbook. Um, I see there's a lot of 90-day programs, a lot of inpatients, a lot of outpatient programs that will send you with a relapse program as you're walking out the door. And then and now what, right? And so we're, our program is built around health and, and sober friends and connection. We try to build huge connection and write out and dig in and analyze to get us the most solid relapse prevention plan that you can have so that you can be successful. So recoveringaddict.org, that's where that's at.
0: Damn, dude, Uh, that was awesome. Put your family through some shit.
2: Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it because it sucked for me. Uh, (laughs) Would you say Ted or Leonard was was in the majority of that story? Oh, Ted is the addict. He's he's the. If you want to have fun, you want to do criminal activities. You want to get scared like you've never been scared before, call Ted. Call Ted, yeah. yeah. And that's why if you look at some of my videos with Leonard in them, people think that he's the prick, but actually he's the dude that's just trying to get people to... Could be an idiots.
1: Well, because that's how we're perceived. Like, like when when we're in our addiction and we have those people that are just trying to get us our uh, with our head on fucking straight, they are pricks. Yeah, yeah. like fuck you, dude. I'm having fun. <laughs> I ain't hurting nobody. Yeah, exactly. I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, but I really liked your story, dude. There was so much of it that I related to. Um, just that, that-, that childhood Metallica dart fucking. Like I I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that yeah and i liked your uh your weed maintenance like that's that's a, a common thing i, I think, think. we all tried that yeah.
0: too like i'm just gonna smoke weed that's it and and sometimes we're quite successful at it like you were it, it i wasn't work. worried
2: about whether it was maintenance or not it was like i'm getting high and i love weed and this is what i'm gonna yeah. do every day mm-hmm. shit i'm out again
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i've been there too man and, and then, the ritual yeah. that goes along with yeah. it yeah and then to hear about the, your birthday party, it's always something like, man, just something will come along at the right time when we're, when we're super vulnerable and it will just be like, cool, I'm going to do this. And it just seems like
2: such a good idea. Uh, well, my birthday party thing, if you look at it, I'm a felon, right? Yeah. Burglary, stucco, I'm a stucco guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, education, not my priority. <laughs> 30 years old till I get my GED. Yeah. And so by the time I'm 34, holy crap! I have a secret clearance with the United States Air Force. Like, are you serious? I'm somebody. I am somebody. Not only that, I have climbed the ladder from a GS3 or a yeah a WG3 up to a wage leader. I'm a leader in the F22. The F22. That's the baddest weapon system ever, right? Why don't I party? I deserve that party. That yeah. was amazing. So I'm a the big world. boy now. So the ego wanted, wanted a party. I'm an party. adult. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you deserved it.
1: Yeah. And then you know. Well, it crashes do down, you
0: know, and, and when you tell the story about your kids being in that crash, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to not personalize that and connect with it empathetically because God damn, dude, what a, mm. the worst day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to see your, to see link like that laid up and, and you do have a video on, on your page. It's that, on my, my personal, my practice page um, that, you know, you can kind of see the damage that was done. On, <sighs> Make it a little bit even more real, yeah. because mm-hmm. uh, Link's okay now. Yeah, and, it's been and four years since the accident. The uh, go ahead. The, the, the the thing that, that I relate with the most in that is the continuation of justifying the drink. Right? Right. That's 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 absolute alcoholic behavior. It's um, always
1: going to be something,
0: you know. Always a reason. For and it. and the selfishness of this disease, I could I could see it all over in your story right huge. Like, now it's a, now it's not about link it's not about your wife it's about what God did to you mm-hmm. right and being able to come out on the other side of that uh, and you're sober now yeah and, and be able to use that as part of your growth story a girl, part of your family's growth story. It wasn't just you. Like you've shared so many times, you know, this is a, it's a family thing. It, yeah, this is definitely a family problem. We all heal together. We all
2: get sick together. Yeah, our motto at Recovering Addict is we recover better together. And everybody's like, oh, that's beautiful. Look at all of us recovering better together. Where that started was my wife and I in family counseling. I'm in. My wife and I and recover better together, you know that was mm. the we that's the original we, and yeah. then that we went from my wife and I to our kids, and like I said before, it is we yeah. it is well and I
1: really one thing one thing that I identified with uh in your story too was when you when you talked about uh being in rehab your i o p right and you had those three shots, and then you went and told on yourself because. It, it's so funny because I, I did I did pretty much the same thing except for I did it with some pain pills and uh, and I went back and I told on myself and it's so funny because like we're so justified that we're like we've convinced ourselves that telling on ourselves is going to be easy. Yeah, no, I'll tell them all about it. like they'll understand And like I, I, I am this justified like this and this happened and so they'll I'll tell them that as well and they'll go, oh. Okay, yeah, we see why you took the drink. We see why you took the pills. And, and then it turns out that that's not the case. <laughs> the next day when we're no longer high or no longer drunk and we have to actually face the music, it's like, fuck, I don't think they're going to see my point of view on that.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, we're not telling on ourselves. We're, we've created a sales pitch. Right. We're telling them. A sales
0: pitch, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me explain how I'm different. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the answer your counselor gave you. You know, that, that, that moment of clarity that, that comes from a message at the right
2: point at the right time, the lost art of logic. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what did he say? He said, let me get this straight. You checked yourself into detox cause you have a drinking problem. You came to this IOP because you have a drinking problem. Your wife's sitting here cause you have a drinking problem, but yet you're going to go and drink to prove you don't have a drinking problem. (laughs) Because
0: all the evidence up to this point leads to the fact you don't have a drinking problem.
1: Well, and And that's just the insanity, right? I mean, that's just how crazy and insane our thinking is. Yeah. And just, yeah, man, what a good reminder. When you put it that way. Yeah. Well, when you put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Hard to argue. (laughs) Hard to argue with that, man. But, dude, I just, uh, I, I, I love your story. I love hearing how far you've come now. And I want to talk a little bit about Recovering Addict. So tell us tell us how it came to be. Tell us why, why it is you decided to do what it is you're doing and what exactly it is that Recovering Addict does.
2: Uh, so basically my whole life, I love art, right? I love music, playing instruments. I love photography. I'm a photographer. I love videography. All that stuff's always been wrapped up in my little hobby that nobody really knew about. Uh, so... I get out of rehab. Um, I'm clean. It's the beginning of 2020. I upload my first video, I think January 12th or something like that, 2020. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm niching down, talking recovery. So yeah. I made like 10 videos, just getting like, you know, trying to get my feet wet with a niche. Um, then 2020, March, April hits, right? COVID, all that stuff happens. AA shuts down. IOP shut down. Mm, NA shuts down. Right. And I'm like, oh man, you know what? We need to go live. And so... I set up. You should see our very first live stream. Garbage, right? <laughs> my house is still being put back together from my destructive, drunken remodel. Right. Yeah, right. Um, you can see that clearly in the background. It's just me and my wife. I'm like, well, hey, we're here. Uh, if you guys need to talk, we're here to talk to you. And that was basically it. And yeah. now we went live 130 episodes in a row, seven days a week, straight, every day at 8 o'clock. And I ended up collaborating with two other uh youtubers on the east coast and the girl did six o'clock the guy did seven o'clock and then we followed it up with the late show at eight every night for three some odd months um out of that, is huge community grew. And I just started taking advantage of Facebook and, and Discord and all that stuff. And the community continues to grow with what we offer online. And we turn, ended up turning it into the Recovery in Your Pocket program. And so no matter what, any time of day you reach in your pocket, you can talk to somebody in the UK, Australia, the United States, India. You just say, hey, I need some support. And somebody will show up. Every day at 1 o'clock, we have a, a Zoom meeting every single day. Saturday through Saturday, 1 p.m. You can get onto our Discord. Somebody drops the link, click on it, and you'll talk to people from all over the world about recovery. Sometimes it's packed. Sometimes there's only a couple. And so that's how this all started. Back to Link and his accident, my perspective on life in general, how mm. fragile it is, wanting to rewrite my eulogy, um, seeing how short time on earth really is, understanding what really matters in life is what's kicked me off into this new direction. You know, I owned a house, right? I, I Not only did I climb up to the F-22 spot, I switched over to the F-35 program and climbed up into that into that world where I'm doing presentations for generals and none of that ma- didn't matter, right? I owned a f- house on a uh, half acre, had a huge shop, all that stuff, none of it mattered. Um, so the beginning of this year, my wife and I downsized all our cars because we had the nice cars, right? We had the monthly payments, big mm-hmm. deal. Um sold the house, took all that money and invested into this local program that we started this summer. And our local program is really no different than online. It's we recover better together. we're there to support you, to be your sober friend. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can come work out for an hour or just walk on a tread. It doesn't matter. We're not going to pressure you. you're yeah. just there to move and take up your time being sober. And then we're going to get into a relapse prevention program, right? You've done an IOP, you've gone to rehabs. now what? Is it working? if what you're doing is not working stop mm. you know do something different we're there to be a, to facilitate us something new on top of that we do activities we, we did archery we go hiking we go mountain biking we did the laser tag thing like i told you we take our group out there and nobody's thinking about getting high we're out there having fun making new connections rewiring our brains and that's basically what recovering addict is we are sober friends the community we want to restore everything now we're to that bigger picture of we recover better together right yeah to give back to the community that i burglarized sold drugs robbed you know guns and all that stuff yeah Mm -hmm. drove drunk all that drove drunk
1: yeah so well that's beautiful man like uh, when you when you talk about having a uh uh, recovery in your pocket what how did you praise that Recovering in your pocket program. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you pull it out. You said that you can talk to anybody anytime. How are people talking to you? Is it Facebook, uh,
2: Discord? So I look at it as a funnel, right? Mm-hmm. You got YouTube, Facebook, Facebook private group, and then the Discord. And the Discord is kind of a new app that gamers use for live streams right. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so with that Discord app is where we've really is where the the uh, rubber meets the road as far as our digital community goes. So you join our Discord immediately. You'll get hey welcome 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 in it. Now that you have this Discord app on your phone in your pocket, there's never a time of the day that you won't be able to say, hey, is anybody around to talk without within 10 minutes somebody responding, hey, what's up? So that's that's how it works. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So is there a website people can go to to check? check RecoveringAddict.org Recovering will take you to anything. Okay. You, uh, you can join any of our social on, on that, and Instagram too, whatever the heck you're supposed to do with that one. That's, uh, yeah, IG <laughs> baby, that's where we roll. But that's awesome, man. Like,
1: I yeah. I feel like you know we've heard a lot about you from a lot of people in the recovery community. Likewise, and I think that, yeah, you guys are you're putting out a, a really really good message, and uh, and this is I mean this is a part of the deal. This is why we decided to talk about this today because you know you're out there doing the deal for yourself and you're out there spreading spreading the word, spreading the message to to hopefully make a difference. And mm-hmm. I'm here to say you know from the recovery community to you as a Recovering Attic. Thank you for, for everything that. Yeah. that you're You're doing. welcome.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah, Recovering Attic is a nonprofit um, and can definitely use any support, so check out. They have plans to grow. Um, they've grown quite a bit. Over the last year, like you said, he sold his house, invested in this gym, invested in this building. They're looking at moving into another building. So go on recoveringaddict.org. Look at how you can support. Look at how you can connect. Look at what you can do to give back. Or if you need anything, reach out, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's what all this is about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Spread that message. Receive the message.
1: Yeah. You're worth the work, yeah, and we'll have we'll put uh, you know a lot of links in our show notes. again, check out Recovering Addict on YouTube. Yeah, um, a lot of funny stuff. yeah, a lot of really great. Recovery-related funny stuff, you guys. This is the stuff that we get to laugh about now, right? Yep. That, uh, that's that's inclusive to the recovery community. You almost have to be an addict to get it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's good stuff. <laughs> if you get it, you're probably an addict. And you're probably <laughs> cool, like guess. <laughs> but yeah, we subscribe, so if you're, if you're subscribed to our channel, you can find it that way. Or you can just type in Recovering Addict on YouTube and you'll find it that way. Or again, it will be in the show notes as well. So um but yeah man i just want to say thank you for coming out today yeah. thank you for being here it's super cool to have you here we're not done collaborating with recovering addicts so look for more of that coming up and uh and yeah, yeah. good shit good shit
0: thank Phil. So, i feel
1: good jordan thanks good. for being back there rylan as always thank you sir thanks jordan you're the man rylan really appreciate you dude yeah um really good shit guys yeah, let's do thanks. this shit again yeah, we will
2: see you on the other side. Remember, you are worth the work. You got something to say? Do not put yourself in a high-risk situation. Stay strong, work your program, and remember, we recover better together.
1: Boom. Drop the mic. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.